Hello, listeners. This is Lupe Munoz. And this is Steve McKeon. And this is the Leadership Exchange. Today, we have a great uh, treat for our listeners. First, we want to thank everyone. We've hit 500 downloads, which is a milestone for us. For all those listeners out there, we really appreciate you listening to our podcast. Other treat is we got a great guest today. Steve, you're going to start us off with a story about this guest. Yeah, Lupe, and I'm really excited about this guest. As, as we start talking about getting different servant leaders onto the program, just to share some of their thoughts and ideas, this individual was on my short list. You know, I've got several really good examples of, you know, how I seen them demonstrate servant leadership and just, you know, all around being a really strong uh, ethical leader. And that's really the design of this podcast is we're going to talk about ethics and leadership for new leaders. So the story I'm going to talk about is uh, a story that happened in the 2009, 2010. The company I was working for had, had won a uh, big contract at the time. It was the largest U.S. government services contract estimated to be just about $2 billion and could grow, you know, over the life of the contract much higher. And, and it did for this company that I was working for. This part of the company was a division uh, for the overall groups that I was managing. And uh, this individual that we have on the podcast today was someone that I'd worked with at the uh, company there for over eight years up to this point. Go back to the story a little bit. There was a, a transfer of the program management from the incumbent to the company that I was supporting. Specific area that the team I was working with uh, had the responsibility to take on was the environmental, the health, and the safety programs for this large contract. So we are going to be responsible not only for our employees, but also for U.S. government employees and third-party personnel that would be brought in uh, in other servicing uh, roles uh, for different subcontractors. So you know, lots of people, big contract. As we sized up the uh, team that who would be deploying to help us do our initial gap assessment, um, we recognized that there was a, a gap that we had on our team and there was a complaint that the government had around the industrial hygiene program as managed previously uh, by the incumbent. So we, we knew we had to bring uh, some expertise in as we took a look at, you know, what was available and, and be able to make some recommendations of what would change. And, and so in the chain of command that I was part of at the time, I, I really knew the right person who I could get this guidance from. And, and they understood how important the contract was. Uh, but most importantly, because that individual is a servant leader, I knew I had no fear of asking for help. I could tell them, hey, I'm not really sure, you know, how we're going to solve this problem. And I could open up the opportunity to have that dialogue uh, with this individual. Not only did he respond, but he volunteered to lead the assessment himself. And once he gives you some of his background, you'll recognize what a uh, big gift that was to uh, have him available for this contract. That also meant as he was the most senior official in our part of the organization at the time for environmental health, safety, and security, that he had a clear, pretty busy schedule in order to uh, fly to Kuwait and help us on really short notice. Um, which he did. And I would say that after a couple weeks, he had been able to quickly assess the status and provide recommendations. And the funny part of the story is uh, he was my direct boss at the time. And I would see him like once every two days and would ask, hey, how is it going? And he was dirty. He was tired. And uh, without complaint, he said, yeah, it's going good. It's not nearly as big of an issue as, you know, some folks had led it to be, but there are some things that we need to do. 
and we can work on. And so, you know, through those recommendations, you know, we were able to really kind of put together a good plan. And, and I'm happy to say that the EHS programs in general on this large contract, we're one of the first groups, if not the first group, to get all of our assessments done. And this was big, right? We were covering airfields, artillery ranges, equipment training centers, mechanic shops, warehousing, all the way to mess halls. And, uh, you know, really kind of got the first uh, stable block in on this big new contract. The other thing that was really interesting about this individual, who I'll let uh, introduce himself a little bit more in a minute, is that, you know, he, he really left without a lot of fanfare. He's like, hey, <clears throat> I think I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump on a plane and, and head back stateside. Wasn't uh, asking for a lot of fanfare and just really kind of stepped out and, and back to uh, his, his regular job and continued to check in and make sure that we had the support we needed. Um, so with that, hopefully a good story. And I've got many more around uh, our guest, Mr. Alan Leibowitz. Alan, thank you for joining. For our listeners who don't know you, maybe just talk a little bit about your background and uh, experiences, and then we'll get into some questions. Well, well, thank you, Steve, and thank you for that nice story, and thank you, Lupe, for inviting me to your podcast, which I have enjoyed from its inception. I, let me add a little color from my perspective to that story you just told, Steve. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that you were so appreciative that I came out because I saw it in large measure to both help you, but also get out from behind my desk <laughs> so that... Uh, you know, a lot of times when you're the senior corporate guy, you lose the ability to just go and do some hands-on work. And I actually really enjoyed coming out, doing that work. As you said, getting dirty. I, I, I found it interesting over the years when I visited new businesses. And, and Steve, uh, we both worked for a corporation that had many different interests. The service industries that you're talking about, but also big manufacturing facilities, was buying and selling. One of the classic conglomerates that really just bought and sold a lot of businesses. And a lot of times when I would go into a new business that we had just acquired and just look around and they, they would talk about how they, they had been treated by their corporate people before, it always amazed me because I, I always thought it was amusing and, and I, perhaps it was just my, my nature. But, you know, when I, I'd say something like, well, I want to go up and look on the roof to see how your roof is doing, you know, because roofs in from a safety and health point of view and from just the whole whole hazard point of view, we're often a place where things are hidden and where there's problems. And and folks would say, we've never had anybody from corporate go on our roof. And it would <laughs> it, it would be just a, a conversation about, well, yeah, okay, well, I like to go on roofs. Can I go on your roof? It's the kind of thing that I, I really enjoyed. I spent a long time in that organization uh, that really had ha their hands in a lot of different businesses. So that working for that one organization gave me experience with virtually every type of business there is. We had semiconductor facilities, we had coal mines, we had bakeries, we had insurance companies, we had forestry products, we made all kinds of consumer goods, we sold some of the first computers, uh, personal computers that were available for the general public. And my role evolved from coming in as an intern right out of college, to as you mentioned, being the senior most person for health, safety and security, which was interesting since we were a large defense contractor. And I also spent a few years as the chief ethics officer for the corporation uh, when the organization got into a little bit of a challenge and they needed, as they told me, they needed a Boy Scout. Now, I didn't know if that it was a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't actually mind being called a Boy Scout. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I, I wear as a bit of a badge of honor, although some folks would 
see that as a little boring. I, I'll even own to being a little bit boring because in my opinion, and we're going to talk a lot about ethics today, ethics aren't very exciting. If you're doing the ethical approach to your behaviors, you're just doing things in a normal fashion. There's nothing really exciting about it except people feel comfortable and they like working with and for you. Yeah, that's a great point, Alan, because when people leave a company, as we've all learned in our career, a lot of times it's it's about the leader, right? And it's about the ethics or the, the values that leader has. And, you know, they're driving people out, even though they may, you know, Lupin and I have talked about this in earlier podcasts, they may be getting things done from a, a bottom line standpoint, but the collateral damage of all the people exiting, all the other costs that they're driving into the organization uh, because of turnover, be, because of just folks, you know, not executing to their fullest potential is huge. And, you know, that really plays a, a big part of this. Alan, I want to I want to welcome you and thank you for uh, being part of this podcast. It's uh, great to have you here. It it was pretty evident to me when Steve mentioned you that you'd be perfect for our first guest on this podcast episode. As you mentioned ethics, I I would like to start off, start us off by asking you, why do you think it's so important to understand the value of ethics as a new leader, and what advice would you impart to leaders that are you know, just starting their careers as it pertains to ethics? Well, let me talk about both what I've seen and what I've personally experienced in, you know, developing and growing in my career. Uh, One of the biggest lessons I had to learn early in my career is not everybody had the same motivation or values that I did. And that didn't mean it was wrong, but it, it, it was a real lesson to me when I You know, I was motivated by advancement. I was motivated by pay. You know, those were the things that were important to me. There were lots of folks that I dealt with that were motivated by just getting the job done each day and going home and seeing their family. And not that those things weren't important to me, but when I was at work, there were different priorities for me. And, you know, one of the things that folks don't always recognize that not everybody has the same values, has the same approach, doesn't mean they're wrong. There are obviously things that are wrong. But there's very few occasions on my, in my career, and it was a pretty long one in, in corporate America, that I found truly evil people, people who would intentionally harm someone that would, if they knew, would have done the things that caused the problem in the organization. Sure, there are people out there that don't always have the best interest of their workers and their organization at, at heart, but that's, that's really uncommon in my experience. You know, one of the things that troubles me occasionally today is that people, when they talk about values, when they talk about ethics, what they really mean is behave the way I do. That's a great point. You know, do things the way I think is important. Do the things that, uh, you know, that I want you to do. Don't tell me what to do, but please do the things that I tell you to do. And that that's not a collaborative uh, approach to what you try and accomplish. You know, one of the things about leadership in in terms of ethics is that I really think ethics is the core of everything. Because if you can't trust both the people you work for and the people you work with or the people who work for you, then you really don't have an opportunity to make sure that you can accomplish the task that you improvement, you know, and we you've talked a bit in your previous podcast about continuous improvement and the six sigma and all the different things that we do to measure performance, but none of that can happen unless you have a team that truly trusts one another, that you really believe that they're going to do the things that they're going to do. You know, I I worked uh, as a leader, I had about 
when you really got through the organization, about 500 people reporting to me, you know, up through different organizational chains and lots of things. And over that time, I only had to let two people go uh, in terms of for performance. And it was because they lied, because they didn't do what they said they would do, not because they did, made a mistake. I, I don't think I ever let anybody make a mistake. In fact, folks who owned up to mistakes and helped us work through correcting problems because we all make them and we all have an opportunity to fix them really grows in my esteem. Well, just a quick story. And it's someone who Steve knows very well. We had purchased a system that would alert everybody in the case of an emergency. Um, and it would call everybody. And then if they couldn't reach them when they got called, it would, and this is so tell you, tell you how long ago it would go to their beeper um, and it would beep and it would let them know. And if that didn't work, it would, you'd have another mechanism. It might call somebody they had called the secondary. Well, this person who was setting up the system for the part of the organization that Steve, I think Steve, you might've already left at that point, but you might still have been there, was setting it up and hit a button that deleted all the information that everybody had been working on for months. And uh, she called me up and she said, oh my God, I did this and I'm, I'm so sorry. And I said, wow, I am really annoyed. And she said, what are you, oh, oh, I said, no, not at you. I'm annoyed that it was possible for that to happen, that the system that they provided us had the capability of wiping itself clean at the push of a button, any button that somebody could have inadvertently trust, touched. I mean, I was so appreciative that she had let us know and that it let me know that we had some things to do. Uh, there was no question that there wasn't going to be a, a problem, but her ethics, if you will, her forthrightness in letting me know right away rather than trying to hide it. And anybody who's worked for an organization knows that problems don't get better with age. Uh, I've dealt many, many times with people who tried to fix something on their own and didn't were afraid of what the consequences would be and wouldn't report it. And it just makes the problem that much greater. So in this particular case, this person, by the way, has been promoted as now a very senior leader in an organ is the senior leader in their organization now. And uh, I, I think a lot of it is because of that moral character, the ability to acknowledge that you've made a mistake. So common nowadays for people never to accept that they're wrong. But, you know, I always used to tell folks on the team that I've made three mistakes already today, and two of them are important, and we're going to fix them all. That's just the way life is. And that's what an organization does. You said some really great things there, Alan. Yeah, I was going to say, Alan, great story. And I, I would just add that, you know, part of the success of people feeling that they could come bring up those things to yourself was you really, as a leader, created that environment, um, not, not only for that team, but also expectations across the organization for people that would have been your, your peers, just to really push down the thought that you, you couldn't bring bad news forward, right? And, and so, you know, it's definitely one of the things that I admired about the organization and, and definitely uh, your leadership as, as well, because it's so critical. And, and especially kind of going back to, you know, the start of the, the question around, you know, for a new leader, you do have things that are that are motivating you that will evolve also over time. And, you know, I, I really resonate with what you were saying about, hey, when we all get started, it's really, you know, hey, career advancement, how am I going to get paid? What are those things? And I would say in, in kind of short order, if you also don't learn the value of ethics and, and, and principles that you need to make decisions and, and guide yourself by, you'll fail. But it, rarely does it happen 
by being self-taught, right? It takes having the right leaders, the mentors to provide you that guidance to, to the point you just told, you know, hey, if you have a really bad story, let's hear about it real quick because the sooner we can know about it, the quicker we can start to uh, work on it. So again, you know, nice, nice job. Great story. I uh, forgot about that story, but it all came back to me as soon as you started talking about it. Well, and I, I think, you know, we used to say when, because I used to teach the ethics when I was a chief ethics officer and still do actually for my professional association. And what we used to say is, how would you feel if your actions or behaviors were on the front page of the newspaper? Well, you know, times have changed a bit. And now we might say that uh, if it was posted on a blog or is it was it uh, something that appeared on the Internet or was in your feed for the day, uh, how would you feel about explaining that what you're doing to the, your family? And uh, I, I think that's really if, if you really think about ethics and I, I do think it's the core of everything we do. I do a lot of expert witness work now. And I, I you know, one of the things I'm always making clear is that I'm guided by the facts, not by the client's desires. Uh, because the ethics are around the facts, not by, you know, some influence that you might get from somewhere else. And the, the reality of when you start out in thinking about this is just when you're in a situation that has ethical implications, because not everything does. You know, you can't you can try and make everything about ethics, but it's not. I mean, you know, some things are about ethics, some things aren't. And if you just think about what would be the right thing to do, what doesn't harm someone, what makes and particularly in the kind of professions we're talking about, what prevents people from getting hurt? What prevents the damage to the organization? And move in that direction. Question to you uh, regarding that last statement. If there's a leader that is in a situation where they know there's a high level of risk that someone may get hurt, but they're pressured internally to keep production going, is that the type of ethical dilemma that you are referencing, or is that an example of one of the situations a leader could be in? Yeah, I, I think that's some of it. I mean, look, there's always production pressures. There's always things that, you know, for people cutting corners. Now, I have to say, in my experience, cutting corners creates more problems operationally than doing it the right way. I mean, it's, you know, you might in that one instance have done something a little bit quicker, but in the long term, You've created problems that you're going to have to solve and put more resources against. But a lot of it, and this is uh, different from what some other folks talk about in in support functions, which in a lot of times uh, other organizations would have considered what I did a support function. I I never considered that. I never conveyed that to my team. We were part of the decision-making process so that if the operations folks thought that they needed to do something a little riskier, that what we were uncomfortable with, by the way, risk is part of business, part of life, and not all risk is bad. And uh, you don't want to, the best way to eliminate all risk is never to do anything. Uh, then you, you don't have any risk. But where there was real potential for harm, where there's real opportunity that, you know, people might get injured by what was going to be chosen, we always didn't just stop by recommending that something be changed. We insisted, we made sure. And if folks always knew if they couldn't do it locally, they could escalate it up to me or to whatever organization. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is what, how do you handle risks in those kind of conversations? You have to be willing to accept some personal and career risks if you take on these kinds of responsibilities. I mean, that's hard. I mean, people have families, they got to put food on the table. I recognize that. 
but you also have to live with yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, that's very true. In working for the uh, the large uh, multinational company, we had work across all time zones, right? And the different cultures that we'd work with, different generations that uh, we would see in you know the various uh, parts of the business that we we were in. This question I'm going to pose really comes out of you know, do you think that ethics looked different across the cultures? or generations, or did we see, I guess, common themes that, you know, transcend the different groups and and the different people? Well, I think fundamental core values don't vary that much. I mean, do no harm, don't take advantage of folks. Um, But, you know, people grow up in environments that are different. And in some of these challenging environments, they get a bit immune, I guess, to the the consequences of their behaviors. Uh, We used to see it a lot, particularly in the service industries, where a lot of times folks can devalue the workers because they come from developing countries or they come from some other place, you know, because you're going some places for less expensive labor. And that doesn't mean they're less valuable as individuals. And but we did see and we certainly know folks when we took over contracts that hadn't treated some of the folks as, as well as we might have wanted. Um, I can remember one instance taking over a contract that was for the, the service business, and I was the head of security. And, you know, one of the things I did when I, because of that, if there was a safe or someplace that things were kept, I would ask them to open the safe just so I could see what was in there. In some cases, I would see a weapon that I had to tell them they can't keep or whatever it was there. In this one instance, we took over and there was hundreds of passports, just piles and piles of passports in the safe. And I said, well, what are those for? They said, well, you know, we keep them here so the people won't leave. And I said, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, you know, if we give them their passports, they're going to leave. Well, we don't have indentured servants here. If people need to leave or want to leave, I said, give them back their passports. And that there was a cr- tremendous furor because nobody in that sector and that country that were providing these kind of contracts um, let people keep their contract. The long story short, in the the end, nobody left. And then they were very appreciative. In fact, most of them said, please keep my my passport safe. We we want you to hold on to them because, you know, we're in an environment where they, they might be at risk. But folks had never really thought to ask that, to have the discussion with the people because they just didn't consider that their opinions might be as valuable as others. Another example, and um, you'll remember this, I think, Steve, is the uh, we had a theme when I was chief ethics officer of doing the right thing always. That was what we always said to folks. In fact, I have a plaque behind me here that won't show up on a a voice uh, podcast, but it says doing the right thing always. But I was shocked when I visited a, a, a country that where English wasn't their first language and they kind of translated it. What they thought that meant was doing the right thing for the corporation, regardless of the consequences, as opposed to my intent was doing the morally, ethically right thing in, in all cases. I, you mentioned before, Steve, that you, you do have to educate folks sometimes, though. You do have to. Not everybody comes in understanding what their place and role is in an organization and explaining what the values of the organization is. You know, it's sometimes surprising that people might not have internalized those values, but people have different upbringings. And, you know, sometimes you really have to explain that, no, if 
it's not acceptable for you to take risks and hurt yourself and put yourself at risk. It's, that's not how we work. Or you, you explain to someone that, well, yes, it really is about doing the right thing for the organization. Uh, we had a conversation early on about paying bribes. There's places in the world where just to move around uh, paying bribes, and we just wouldn't do it. I mean, that was our core value. We weren't going to pay bribes. And somebody said to me, well, I've been in places, and this was in our, our hotel chain, and they're all over the world, uh, where I've been held up at gunpoint where they demand money, and that's paying a bribe. I said, if your life is at risk, pay the bribe. I mean, that's, you know, we're, nobody's asking you to sacrifice your life to follow one of our policies. But as a matter of business, we get business on our merit, not because we've somehow greased the skids and provided somebody a benefit that they didn't really earn. Yeah, Alan, I got to say that, um, you know, even turning our, ourself away from business because we knew that environment would be there, we didn't want to put the employees at risk of having to work in in that area was was key. The other interesting thing that uh, I just want folks to know is that, um, you know, we would not defer a hazard or a risk to another business that we felt we were not going to do ourselves. And so that was a you know another ethical business decision that was really different in terms of how some folks had 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 grown up or evolved in their career. And so we would say that, you know, we're not going to just outsource that because it's dangerous and let some, somebody else have to address it. We're, we're going to work at this to come up with the, the safer way that's going to have less impact to everybody and, and manage our risk, or, or we're just not going to do it. And we're not going to be part of that business. So I, I think all those things are really important, especially when you're working around the world, because there, there are different themes and, you know, just experiences people have that you have to educate, right? Say, hey, you know, maybe that was okay in the past, um, but here's how we do things in this company. And, and you're right, the translations are key. I got to make sure that they translate that information correctly. I, I love the story there, Alan, or the examples that you're giving. One of the things that uh, I started thinking as, as I was listening to you was the, the tie-in to so many of the things that uh, we've talked about in, in this podcast, one was around, as a new leader, being able to ensure that everyone understands what those values are, what are the priorities, so that they can then make an informed decision around, hey, someone's going to stick you up for some money. You know, that's that's not where we want you to to follow the policy, right? Um, one of the questions I was uh, thinking about is, as new leaders, how much enthusiasm, knowledge, em empathy, discipline, communication skills do you feel a new leader needs? And how and where does that new leader find the answers? If they don't have a podcast or they don't have an, an Alan Leibowitz, you know, within their sphere of influence, what advice do you have? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. And so you asked about a lot of different characteristics about a leader. And, and how much of, you know, any one of them do you really need? You know, I, I think the point of the, the conversation around those things, and, and Steve, you always use the phrase, and I guess, you've, Lupe, you've used it too, the servant leader. I'm not as comfortable with that. I, I think it's a very collaborative, and maybe that's what, what's intended here, is that it's not just the leader who has to understand their employees. It's the employees who have to understand the leader. They have to both under, make sure that when they communicate, 
that the information that's being passed back and forth is truly what's intended. And one of the biggest problems historically that I've seen in every organization is a misunderstanding of direction. That at the top they have, you know, their, their intent is clear. It's a positive intent. There's things that they want to do, but they might put a, a target for a financial performance somewhere that people say, well, they know that we can't achieve that without cutting corners or doing something wrong. Or, and that's never the intent. I guess I can't say never. In my experience, it's never the intent um, of a leader is to expect people to do the wrong thing in order to achieve a goal get there by the wrong methods. But at the level that actually is where the boots are on the ground, where folks are really doing the work, it's sometimes hard to understand because you expect that people know more about what you do than they actually do once you get into the complex, even the best organizations. Once you get somewhat removed from, the, from a particular job, people just don't know what you do. They just don't know what your challenges are. They just don't know what the things are. And you know, one of the things that was, I shouldn't say amusing, but it's, it was unfortunate is that folks would quite often tell me that, well, the company's out to get me when something bad happened, when somebody missed a paycheck or, you know, that maybe they didn't get a promotion they wanted. They, they really, you know, it's hard not to personalize those kinds of things. And I, I'd always tell them, you know, don't, and I'd say, don't take this wrong. The company doesn't care. The company does not know specifically unless you tell them what the issue is, because folks aren't sitting there waiting to cause a, a difficult issue for you. It's occurring because maybe, you know, that there's a, a policy that's not right or that there's a program or somebody made a mistake. I mean, all those things are possible. It's not that the organization can't make errors. It's just very rarely is anybody focused on causing harm to a particular employee. I'm not saying it, it could never happen. So for a new employee, you know, somebody who's in a new leadership role, and I've, I've told you guys this, I, both of my sons have just recently been promoted to managers within their organization. So I've been having a lot of these new leader conversations with them. And really the conversation typically starts out when they're first in that role, because, you know, I'm, I'm glad they still asked me for some advice. <laughs> it's always nice when your kids do that, is just understand what your situation is. Just understand what your obligations are. In both cases, they were coming into established teams. They were younger than most of the people in that team. Uh, the folks in that those teams were really good at their jobs. You don't have to do a whole heck of a lot. What you have to look in, in the teams is where there's gaps. Think about what the different areas that aren't being addressed or perhaps not being addressed sufficiently and back in our organization with, with Steve and I and a number of the folks, that's what, what I did. I saw that as my role, bringing in people who filled the gaps that I knew I had. I couldn't cover everything. I wasn't the best at everything. And we'd bring folks in, and particularly in the areas that they were interested in. You know, one of the things you asked was, how does somebody learn about that? Well, right now, there's just a ton of information out there. Your podcast is really nice. I've recommended it to both my sons. They've listened to a few, and they're, they're enjoying it. But there's lots of other folks out there doing similar things, um, and none of them are right. I, I, I don't want to disillusion you guys. You're not completely right. The other guys aren't completely right. But it's all information that you can assimilate, you can think through, put it against your situation. None of this is cookie cutter. You know, one of the things, we just wrote a, a new book on metrics that I wrote with a, a group. And, 
they said, you can't just take these metrics and, and just put your numbers in and, and think that that's going to apply to your situation. You have to think about what the intent is of those metrics, what they're trying to accomplish, and then think about how you can adapt them to your situation. The same is true with management. Listen to everybody, think about, read the papers, or listen to people who, who've read the papers for you, like you and Steve, um, and then assimilate that and think about how that might apply to your situation. And getting a mentor. You know, I have a, over the years, I've had a couple people, both I've offered to be a mentor and people have approached me to be their mentor. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it turns out I wasn't the right person for them. Uh, other times it worked out fabulously. When you're somebody new, don't be afraid to ask. Steve, you mentioned it before. You know, one of the biggest challenges for somebody new in an organization is having the courage to let folks know that you don't know everything and that you may need some help and you may need some assistance. But most organizations want to develop you. That's why they're paying you. They're putting an investment in you. And asking them for help and finding the right person in that organization to help you will advance your career more quickly than almost anything else. I think, you know, as a, a leader, especially new leaders, learning to have that comfort to, to ask for help and not, you know, understand you're not going to be expected to know all the answers. And, and as a senior leader, I'm, I'm looking for when people should be bringing those questions forward. Sometimes I'll, I'll go out and probe just a little bit in case there is some shyness or reluctancy. But I, I think just building that circle of trust that you talked about earlier, Alan, is, is so critical with the team. And also finding things that people enjoy working on, but also if it's critically important to the organization, making sure people work on those things as well. And, and you know, Alan, you did a great job with that. I'll, I'll tell one short story here. Alan required all of the uh, direct reports that he had to participate in pandemic planning back in 2006. And this was a rewrite of the uh, CDC uh, guidance at the time that Alan, through his uh, channels that he was working in, both in and outside the company, recognized that there was a gap. And of course, being a multinational company, we had some exposures there. And so Alan required us all to engage and sit down. And he recognized not everybody on the team was gonna be as enthusiastic I was one, <laughs> but he, he found the right areas for each of us to, to play. And I, I would say my reluctancy was just, there was so much other things on my plate, immediate urgency that I didn't see this as something I needed right now. And, and I think Alan, you did a great job explaining to me that we don't need it now, but we need something better than what we got, which was nothing, right? No, no true pandemic plan. And, you know, one of the first guys I called during COVID-19 was Alan Leibowitz to say, hey, thank you for making me participate. As Lupe can tell you, the organization that both he and I are with now benefited greatly from just us being able to have a plan early on in, in the pandemic. And that kind of leads to this final question, Alan. At times, I recall difficult conversations you had to have with someone, not just a direct report into you, but either someone senior to your position or adjacent and just how you navigated those and, and the importance and the relevance around ethically not ignoring the situation, right? Bad news doesn't get better with time. You want to give us uh, kind of your thoughts and takeaway on how you navigated some of those? Because I, I saw you do it at several times very, very well. well. I think there's really two types of opportunities. And I, I will say opportunities to deliver bad news. Some are 
acute and some are, you know, things that you can prepare for. Um, let's start with preparing for potential bad news that might come out of some activity that's going on. A lot of times when you're in a support role or a service role or whatever you want to say, you're, you're doing things that have the potential that when you accomplish them might uncover some things that are going to be challenging for the organization to address. They might be expensive. They might take a lot of resources. They might even require you to report um, some regulatory violation, which came up not frequently, but on occasion. And those kinds of things I think you can deal with a little more easily. And that's by, before you start the process, sitting down with folks and explaining the potential consequences of what's going to happen in their organization. You're gonna be doing an audit uh, here's some examples of the kind of things that have happened before. Uh, here's the kind of things we would look for in your kind of organization. Here's the the real kind of really bad things that could happen. I, I don't see them here yet. You know, and typically that's the kind of thing they address. But once you do find that and you have the conversation, folks have at least, you know, all right, they, they might have had some sleepless nights while you were there going through all their file cabinets and doing all those kinds of things. But at least it's not a shock to them that you've identified something that needs to be addressed. You know, having that conversation, having a formal process, letting people know that you're going to address these issues very straightforwardly and let them know what they need to do, I think is a, a good way to just make sure you cover it. More challenging are the acute problems. Um, somebody who's doing something that's really serious, uh, somebody who's, you just find out that there's a problem that, you know, really puts people at risk, puts the organization at risk. Um, I can remember having called some folks up and telling them they need to do it. And it's only happened one time in my career where they told me that it's only a problem if you make it a problem, meaning that if you don't report something, you, you, we, we can sweep it under the rug. And that didn't, as you might imagine, didn't go over very well. I explained, well, no, we, we don't pay anybody to take the risk for the organization. And by my not bringing this forward, it means that you and I, have taken the risk of organizational exposure. We want our organizations to operate in a straightforward and appropriate way. Uh, and that's always the case. I mean, it's, it's, I've had a couple of instances where folks have said, well, you've, now that you've said this, we're at risk. And my answer has always been, we're only at risk if you don't fix it. That's the point of the kind of things, the kind of issues that we're developing is so that we know what we need to fix because you can't say it enough, problems don't get better with age, and that when they're going on uh, for any extended period of time, you wind up having to make more and more resources, dedicate more and more resources to correcting the problem, and people's careers get affected. I've had several instances where people really hurt themselves by not bringing things forward quickly enough and really letting the organization deal with it. Ellen. It is extremely obvious why Steve recommended you to this uh, first episode with uh, our guest speaker. Uh, you did not disappoint. I really admire your perspective and the wealth of experience with this particular topic. And just in, as a great leader, it sounds like to me, listening to you and, and hearing about you, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your perspective and your experience. It's been a fantastic episode, and we really appreciate your participation today. Uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, Alan, this is um, fun to reconnect. It's you know we're we're not as uh, connected as uh, we once were, and um, you know you said something the other day that just 
was profound is that, um, you know, when we were working together on that team that we had uh, working together, you know, under your direction, the experiences folks have, um, I don't know anybody that says, boy, that was a terrible time. We were the worst organizations ever. It's the opposite, right? That was an amazing time. We had talent galore. People were happy, you know, in that environment. And it's really credit to you as, as the leader because you set that environment up and you've alluded to it in this podcast a couple of times is finding the right people in the organization to kind of fill gaps, having those common thread of values and clear ethical boundaries that we all operate under. And when you can create that environment, you know, really amazing things happen. And I, I got to say, you know, during that time uh, we worked together, you know, I greatly appreciated, you know, the opportunities and just the camaraderie and, and dialogue and, and partnership. So again, uh, pride didn't say it enough, but uh, thank you for that experience. And, and thank you for today. This was great. Well, again, let me thank you and Lupe, uh, Steve, uh, for inviting me. I think you guys are providing a real service. Uh, I think that uh, a, a growing any sort of podcast is always a challenge. I, I, I listen to a few uh, nascent podcasts that where folks are trying to work through. And I, I think as you start moving in these kind of directions, getting some of the folks who are actually boots on the ground or historically boots on the ground doing these kind of things. I think you're going to really see that folks will find a, a lot more interesting. I, I think as you move forward and I, I you'll, you'll get uh, even better at this. And I, I, you know, I've enjoyed it up to this point and learned a lot. And I think this episode is just one piece of a larger puzzle of really how people have to create a, an environment for managing an organization. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. And, and uh, we, Again, hope to have you on in, in the future sometimes, and thanks for uh, being an uh, active listener and uh, sharing the uh, podcast with your son, so I really do appreciate that. Lupe, let's go ahead and uh, sign off. This is the Leadership Exchange with uh, Steve McKeon. And this is Lupe Munoz, and our guest speaker today was Alan Leibowitz. Everyone have a great day.